Book One, Chapter Thirteen of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter Thirteen. Most Holy Mary passes her thirty-third year ever after remaining unchanged as to her virginal body. She plans to support her most holy son and St. Joseph by the labor of her hands. After Jesus had reached his twelfth year, our great queen and lady occupied herself particularly in the exercises and the mysteries, which I have pointed out, but could not fully describe in the foregoing chapters. In the course of time, our Savior passed the period of his adolescence at 18, and his blessed mother reached her perfect growth in her 33rd year. I call it that because according to the division of man's life commonly accepted, the age of 33 years is that of full bodily growth and perfection, being the end of youthful vigor, or as others would have it, the beginning of it. Whatever opinion is accepted, that is the end of the natural perfection of the body, and it lasts only a short time, for immediately corrupted nature, never remaining in the same state, begins to decline. Like the moon, which begins to lessen as soon as it has reached fullness, it never remains in the same state. From that time on, the body does not grow in length, nor can the increase in bulk be called a perfection, being rather a defect of nature. On this account, our Lord Christ died at the completion of his thirty-third year, for his most ardent love induced him to wait only until his body should have attained its perfect growth and vigor, and was in all respects most capable of bringing the perfect gifts of nature and grace to this sacrifice. Not because divine grace was in need of any growth in him, but in order that his human nature might correspond with the perfection of grace, and that nothing might be wanting even exteriorly to the completeness of his sacrifice for mankind. In accordance with this, it is said that the Almighty created Adam and Eve in the condition of a man and woman at the age of 33 years. It is true, of course, that in the first and second age of the world, the life of man was much longer, and by dividing the periods of human life at that time, many more years would have to be counted for each period before the time of David than after that time, when old age begins at 70 years. When, therefore, the Queen of Heaven arrived at her 33rd year, her virginal body had attained full natural growth, so well proportioned and beautiful, that she was the admiration not only of human beings, but of the angelic spirits themselves. She had grown in size and stature to the most perfect proportion in all the parts of her body, and most strikingly resembled her divine son, in features and complexion, when later on he arrived at that age. Always, of course, taking into account that Christ was the most perfect man, while his mother was the most perfect woman. Other mortals, on account of the decline of the natural humors and temperature, ordinarily begin to deteriorate and gradually approach decay as far as their body is concerned. The exquisite balance of bodily humors is disturbed, and the earthly ones begin to predominate more and more. The hair begins to whiten, the countenance to wrinkle, the blood to cool, some of the strength to weaken. And the whole human frame, in spite of the greatest care, commences to decline toward old age and corruption. But in the Most Holy Mary it was not so, for the wonderful beauty and strength which she had attained at the age of thirty-three years 
remained unchanged, and when she had reached her seventieth year, as I shall relate later on, she still retained the same beauty and entirety of her virginal body as at the age of thirty-three. The Blessed Lady was well aware of this special privilege conceded to her by the Most High, and she rendered him most humble thanks. She understood also that it was granted to her, in order that the likeness of her Most Holy Son might always be preserved in her, though with the differences consequent upon her different nature and longer life. For the Lord attained full bodily growth at thirty-three years, while she retained it during her much longer life. St. Joseph, although he was not so very old at the time when our blessed lady reached her thirty-third year, was much broken and worn out as far as his body was concerned. For his continual cares, his journeys, and his incessant labors, for the sustenance of his spouse and of the Lord, had weakened him much more than his years. This was so ordained by the Lord, who, wishing to lead him on to the practice of patience and of other virtues, permitted him to suffer sickness and pain, as I will relate in the following chapter. His most prudent spouse, knowing that he was much weakened, and always having loved and served him better than any wife ever did her husband, spoke to him and said, My spouse and my master, I am deeply obliged to you for the faithful labors, watchfulness and care thou hast bestowed on my welfare. For in the sweat of thy brow thou hast until now supported me, thy servant, and my most holy son, the true God, and in this, thy solicitude, thou hast spent thy strength, and the best part of thy health and of thy life, in protecting me and attending upon my welfare. From the hands of the Almighty, thou shalt receive the reward of thy works, and the blessings of sweetness which thou deservest. Psalm 20, verse 4. But now I beseech thee, my master, rest henceforth from thy labors, since thy impaired strength is not any more equal to them. I wish from now on to show my gratitude by laboring in thy service, and provide for such sustenance as the Lord wishes us to have. The saint listened to the words of his sweetest spouse with abundant tears of humblest acknowledgement and consolation, although he at first earnestly entreated her to be allowed to continue forever in his labors, yet at last he yielded to her request and obeyed his spouse, the mistress of the world. From that time on, he rested from the hard labor of his hands, by which he had earned a livelihood for all three. They gave away the carpenter tools as an alms, not wishing to have anything superfluous or useless in their house and family. Being thus at leisure, St. Joseph occupied himself entirely in the contemplation of the mysteries of which he was the guardian, and in the exercise of virtues. As he had the happiness and good fortune of continually enjoying the sight and the intercourse of the divine wisdom incarnate, and of her who was the mother of it, this man of God reached such a height of sanctity that his heavenly spouse accepted, no one ever surpassed him, and he far outstripped all other creatures. The blessed lady, and also her most holy son, attended upon him and nursed him in his sickness, consoling and sustaining him with the greatest assiduity, and hence there are no words sufficiently expressive of the humility, reverence, and love which all this caused in the simple and grateful heart of this man of God. He thus became the admiration and joy of the angels, and the pleasure and delight of the Most High. Thenceforth, 
the mistress of the world took upon herself the task of supporting by her work her most holy son and her husband for such was the will of the eternal wisdom in order to raise mary to the very pinnacle of all virtues and perfections and in order to furnish an example for the confusion of the daughters and the sons of adam and eve the lord set up for us as a model this strong woman clothed with beauty and fortitude for at this age of thirty-three years she was to show herself girded with strength and ready to extend her hands to the poor purchasing the field and cultivating the vineyard by her own labor to bring forth its fruits the heart of her husband confided in her and not only that of her husband saint joseph but also that of her son the true god-man the teacher of the poor and the poor of the poor and they were not deceived Proverbs chapter 31 verse 10. The great queen began to busy herself much more in spinning and weaving linen and wool, thus mysteriously fulfilling all that Solomon says about her in the Proverbs. But as I have explained this chapter of scripture at the end of the first part, I shall not repeat it here, although much of what I said then pertains to this period of her life, when both interiorly and exteriorly she executed it in action. The Lord was not wanting in ability to provide for his bodily living, that of his blessed mother and of St. Joseph, for not in bread alone does man live and is sustained. Matthew chapter 4 verse 4. He could have created it by his mere word, as he himself assures us. He could have each day created the necessary food, but then the world would have been deprived of this spectacle of his holy mother, lady of the whole world laboring for their sustenance, and the virgin herself would have been deprived of the reward due to these meritorious works. All was arranged by the teacher of our salvation with admirable providence for the glory of our queen and for our instruction. Her diligence and care in these employments cannot be expressed in words. She labored much, and because she always lived in retirement, she was assisted by that most fortunate woman of whom I have spoken before. This woman assumed some of the labor of the great queen and performed the necessary errands. But Mary never used any command when in want of her assistance, but spoke to her in humble request and with the utmost consideration, always seeking to find out her wishes by asking her whether she would not like to do this or that. Her blessed son, like his heavenly mother, ate no meat. Their nourishment was only fish, fruit, and herbs, and these only in the greatest moderation. For St. Joseph, she procured flesh meat, and although their poverty and want was apparent also in this, yet it was seasoned by the good will and loving kindness with which she served it to her spouse. The blessed lady slept but little, and often she spent the greater part of the night in the work. For the Lord now permitted her to spend more time in such employment than in Egypt. Sometimes it happened that with all her diligence and labor, she could not earn what was necessary, for St. Joseph now had need of more expensive nourishment and clothes than formerly. At such times, Christ our Lord made use of his almighty power in multiplying what was in their possession or in commanding the angels to bring the necessaries from elsewhere. But more frequently, he miraculously enabled his most holy mother to accomplish much in short time by the labor of her hands and thus multiplying its results. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Mary, gave me. My daughter, 
in what thou hast written of my labors thou shouldst have received a most exalted doctrine for thy imitation and direction but in order that thou mayest not forget i will now give thee a summary of it i wish that thou imitate me in three virtues which thou wilt find in what thou hast written they are the virtues of prudence charity and justice so little taken notice of by mortals prudence should teach thee to provide for the wants of thy neighbor as far as possible in thy state charity should make thee diligent and zealous in coming to their assistance justice should oblige thee to fulfill the obligations of charity as necessity and love itself point them out to thee thou shouldst be an eye to the blind an ear to the deaf and thy hands should labor for those that are maimed job chapter twenty nine verse fifteen although on account of thy state of life thou must practice this doctrine principally and continually in a spiritual way yet i desire that thou take it to the heart also as far as the temporal and bodily wants of thy neighbor demand always striving to be most faithful in imitating me for i also provided for the necessities of my spouse and held myself ready to serve and support him deeming myself obliged thereto and i fulfilled this obligation with ardent charity until he died although the lord had given him to me for my support i faithfully provided for him by my labors as long as he was unable to perform this task himself i judged it to be my duty thus to use the strength given to me by the lord and would have considered it a great fault not to do so with great assiduity the children of the church pay no attention to this example and therefore they have fallen into a perverseness which greatly exasperates the just judge for although all mortals not only since the first sin by which all incurred work as a punishment but also from the very first beginning were created in order to work genesis chapter 2 verse 15 nevertheless work is not evenly distributed among men the powerful and the rich and those whom the world calls lords and nobles all try to exempt themselves from this common law and try to throw this burden upon the humble and the poor of human society the rich keep up their pride and ostentation by the labor and sweat of the poor and the powerful draw their strength from the weakness and helplessness of the lowly in many of the proud by their haughtiness this perversity reaches such extremes that they begin to think all this is due to them and they despise oppress and trod underfoot the poor letter of st james chapter two verse six they falsely suppose that others are created only in order that they themselves might enjoy leisure and delight and all the world's goods and in addition to this they do not even pay the small wages for these services in this matter of not paying proper wages to the poor and to the servants and in matters of like sort thou wilt find great crimes against the order and will of the almighty but let it be known that just as the rich pervert justice and reason and refuse to take their share in human labor so also will mercy be inverted for them and be showered upon the despised and lowly wisdom chapter six verse seven those who in their pride gave themselves up to contemptible idleness shall be chastised by the demons whom they have imitated thou dearest take heed against such deception let the advantages of earnest labor be always before thy eyes according to my example separate thyself from the children of belial who so idly seek vain applause and thus labor for naught 
do not deem thyself above others because thou art a superior but deem thyself more lowly and humble a slave of all the rest diligently serving them all without distinction if necessary be ready to labor for their sustenance and be convinced that this is incumbent upon thee not only as their superior but also because the religious are thy sisters daughters of the heavenly father and creatures of the lord thy spouse since thou hast received more than all the rest at his liberal hand thou art also obliged to labor more than they the weak and ailing relieve a bodily labor and do their labor thyself wish that thou not only avoid charging others with work which thou canst perform thyself and which belongs to thee but that thou assume as much as possible that of all the rest deeming thyself their inferior and their servant as i wish thee always to consider thyself since thou canst not do all thyself and since it is necessary that thou distribute bodily labor among thy subjects i exhort thee to observe good order and equity not putting more labor upon those who are too humble or weak to object but i wish that thou humiliate those who are of a haughty and proud spirit and are unwilling to occupy themselves in hard labor however this must be done without exasperating them and with a gentle firmness helping them to suppress their lukewarmness and want of subjection by placing upon them the yoke of holy obedience in accordance with their profession in doing this thou conferrest upon them the greatest blessing and thou only fulfillest thy own obligation therefore thou shouldest see to it that they understand thee in that way all this thou wilt attain if thou make no personal distinctions and assign to each one the work which she can do and what is appropriate to her obliging and compelling each one with equity and justice to abhor idleness and laxity and let them see thee engaged in the hardest and most difficult work thereby thou wilt gain a humble liberty of commanding them but what thou canst do thyself command no one in order that thou mayest enjoy the fruit and the reward of labor in imitation of me and in obeying all that i advise and remind thee of End of chapter 13